This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. So, remember about six weeks ago when we were all worried about whether this season was going to be a bit of a damp squib for Manchester City? It was around about the time that they were pretty uninspiring in draws against United and West Brom, and it just felt like a bit of a chore to watch them. I'm going to be honest with you now, I just can't eat any more humble pie. I'm absolutely full up of all my words that City have already made me eat, as things have clicked into place and they made themselves the team to beat. Welcome to today's Blue Moon podcast with City fresh off the back of a 5-0 win over West Brom and FA Cup progress at Chelsea. We'll review those displays on this week's episode and we better get a move on before any more changes are made to the offside law after another quirk involving Pep Guardiola's side. Also this week we'll hear the final part of our interview with David James, Howard Hawking will be back on the show later on and we'll look ahead to matches with Sheffield United and Burnley. I'm David Mooney and today I'm joined by City fan Chris Higginbottom hey, hope you're right. and City fan and one football's Dan Burke. Hi mate, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you. Chris, you well? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh... I think it's a bit of a tonic, given if I wasn't feeling too well, the uh, position we're now in. I was going to say, yeah, it's uh, good to have you back as well. It was uh, a very late substitute, so thank you for stepping in. Oh, it's all right. I've done my warm-ups. Should be okay. Good, good. Um, so the, the the obvious place to start with uh, the news from this week, Dan, um, the big story of the week was City's second goal at West Brom. Uh, here's what Sam Allardyce said in uh, his post-match press conference in response to uh, City, that, that goal being allowed. Listen, everybody stops when they see an offside flag, so all that rubbish that talks about plays of the whistle is rubbish. Nobody, nobody... Um who plays football would not not stop or would carry on to think it's not offside. That's why it's, the flag goes up. That's what the flag says. Anybody else says that, anything after that is talking absolutely nonsense. So don't talk to me about all that rubbish about the must play to the whistle. So Dan, do you agree with him? Uh, well, at the risk of aligning myself with the values of Big Sam, I would say yes and no, I think. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I felt a bit embarrassed by that goal and I, I got perhaps uh, deserved pelters in our WhatsApp group for saying we should have let West Brom score straight from the kickoff to, to kind of even it out. I think I was just a bit worried about the um, you know, the controversy surrounding the, 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 the goal against Villa last week and we, you know, we were going to be subjected to three days of awful takes on Twitter about City paying refs or whatever people people would come up with this week. Um, I, you know, I haven't been on Twitter much the last couple of days. I've I've seen surprisingly little talk about it, which is nice, actually. Um, I mean, I suppose the obvious counterpoint to, to what Allardyce said is that all footballers are taught from a very early age to play to the whistle and not the assistant's flag. Um, Sean Massiellis, I think she cocked up a bit there. Um, but I even have sympathy for her because instinctively she's been putting her flag up when she thinks there's an offside for her entire career. And this new directive for officials to keep their flags down almost suggests, like, do we do we need linesmen and women at all anymore? If that's the case, um, I suppose I suppose you'd, you'd have to ask yourself, how would you feel if City had conceded that goal? And I think I would be annoyed at the slight injustice of it, but I'd be more annoyed with our defenders for for stopping and not playing to the whistle. That's it, isn't it, Chris? Like, like ultimately. Like we've known from the start of last season when VAR came in that I mean I remember one at Old Trafford where Arsenal had a goal ruled offside. Uh, they carried on through. I think Aubameyang went on to put it in, and they checked it, and it was onside. So it's like, well, don't just let him put it in. <laughs> yeah, I, I take issue with um, what's Big Sam saying there. Like, I mean, apart from just the annoying way he was saying it and saying the word <laughs> rubbish over and over again, uh, <laughs> he's actually. Well, he is literally talking rubbish because he says that all the players stop. Well, if all the players had stopped, we wouldn't have scored, would we? Because we would have stopped. If the, the attacking <laughs> team is still attacking you, I'd suggest it's in your best interest to uh, crack on, maybe try and get a foot in. 
Yeah, don't don't let Cancelo. I mean, like all, and all of this, we're forgetting that it's a fantastic finish as well from Cancelo. Absolute pearl. I love a bit of an off the bar, and uh, yeah, it was just ah, oh, just top corner took the paint off, didn't it? But yeah, you, you can't say everybody stops because you know we we didn't. So carry on. The whole thing happens in a matter of seconds, if not you know a split second, doesn't it? Really. So um, I can understand why the confusion about seeing a flag up, especially in in a climate where players are told, well, the referee is going to keep the flag down. Um, so that they must have thought when they see the flag go up, well, it's offside. It's definitely offside. Um, otherwise, why would why would she have put a flag up? Um, so I, I can't understand the confusion, but I think Chris is right as well. Yeah, you do have to play to the whistle. You do have to carry on on um, and, and try and close the close the guy down. I feel sorry for Cancelo, actually, because it, it has robbed him of a really good goal. He didn't even get to celebrate it, did he? Yeah. Um, I, I, the thing is, Chris, uh, the, the thing with, with uh, Sean Marcial is putting a flag up too. Mm. Um, she puts it... The, the, the assistants are told to wait until... Uh, was it an, is it an immediate threat to the to a goal has, has passed? And I think Bernardo Silva... I think the cue was Bernardo Silva passed the ball backwards. So I think at that point she thought, ah, oh, well, there's probably going to be more build-up. So I can kind mm. of understand her putting a flag up as well at that point. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think that it can be classed as a bit of, as an error from her in putting it up. I can understand the points of view for and against. She's generally, uh, you know, one of the best at, at that job. So, you know, I wouldn't focus too much kind of um, criticism on her because overall she's she's great at what she does. But, I mean, this sort of culture of having to play on, how long do you play on for, should we carry on, play to the whistle. Play to the whistle has always been a fundamental of football. There's been a bit of a change culturally recently with this uh, interpretation of how to, to play offsides. If nothing else, I think this will have set a useful precedent, um, not least for West Brom, because I bet they don't <laughs> do that again. But uh, I think everybody will have, you know, taken up and uh, sat up and taken notice, and I doubt that'll happen again. So hopefully, uh, we've done everybody a favour. And let's be honest, I don't think um, it had too much uh, in terms of influence over the result, because we, apart from that first dodgy little spell where. It was pinball in our box uh, first couple of minutes. We pretty much dominated the game entirely for the for the, the rest of it. So, you know, sour grapes. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because uh, this is uh, obviously Guardiola was asked about the incident in his post-match press conference. Uh, and this is what he said. I understand completely, but I said many times to the team. So today with this rule, what never happened, you have to follow the action, the action until the end. Don't stop because now VAR take a lot of influence in the game and a goal can be disallowed and goal disallowed can be goal. So you have to continue. And uh, it's a good lesson for us. It's a good lesson for us for uh, we'll speak next day so we'll speak about this because today happened to, to West Bromwich and happened to us. So there you have it, Chris. It's a, it's a learning opportunity for City as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was saying for everybody but obviously Pep's not interested in everybody else takes it as a, an example from us to learn to and power to him. That's exactly the right attitude. Yeah, uh, Dan, this all comes as the Premier League have clarified that City's opener against Aston Villa should probably have been ruled out as Rodri came back from an offside position. Um, what do you think of, not necess- not the call that uh, was made on the day, but the revised kind of idea of what, what should be made of that call now? 
Yeah, well, it feels to me like a healthy compromise, really. I, I think they've acknowledged that the law needed to change to do away with that kind of loophole that City's goal uh, illuminated. But at the same time, you know, they've clarified that City weren't in the wrong and didn't break any rules when the goal was scored, which which is nice as well. You know, I saw a few people on Twitter last week saying that uh, referees should be allowed to exercise common sense in cert certain situations. I, I think that's pretty absurd because all you're doing there is adding more ambiguity to the game, really. Like, you know, one referee's notion of common sense will be entirely different to another referee's. Uh, so you just get more complaints about inconsistency than we have now. Um, however, where common sense should be applied more often is when it comes to actually making the laws and rules of the game and, and changing them when they are no longer fit for purpose. And that's exactly what, I don't know, is it IFAB or Pigmall or whoever um, have, have done with a, with a few <laughs> things this season. Pigmall, that's how you say it, isn't it? That's how you say it, yeah, Pigmall. P-G-M-O-L. How else would you say it? Pugmall. Oh, sorry, Pugmall. I'm still calling him uh, Pigmob because they, they changed it, didn't they? Because it was... Uh... It did end with a B, and they realised it had the word mob in it, and then they changed it. They stuck an L in there and had it as limited, I believe, is the way that. I, I couldn't uh, tell you what it stands for. Technology evolved. Professional game. Match officials limited or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, I think it used to be bored. Um, but, I mean, I just don't think it. I, I actually agree with Mourinho. He waded in, didn't he, and um, said that they shouldn't be changing it halfway through a season. To bow to like popular chatter halfway through a season because everyone's complaining that City have scored another goal, it's a bit embarrassing. It doesn't really do their, uh, it doesn't really enhance their reputation any, yeah. in my opinion. I just think but, that, you don't know that there's a kind of flaw in the rule until it's exposed, really, do you? And it's it never really been exposed until now. So I think well, it's, I think it's a good idea to change it. If, if have you, they if changed the rule though, or the interpretation of the rule? Doesn't that come down to common sense? I mean, when is it now active? It, they can't. Is it now that they can't rob the player immediately? So how many goes at controlling? the ball do you get is it like <laughs> after five seconds three touches uh a bit do they, of have, do they have to run down the front so they can see them what like, exactly what? yeah so i'm approaching you now be prepared to be tackled uh good fellow and then you know i don't know how do you politely approach the situation i think uh it was all just a massive uh overreaction really um and I'm a bit, yeah, I'm not really comfortable with this, this rule change. Well, is it, this is my question. Is it a rule change? What exactly has changed? The interpretation of the rule? It's just, like, a, it's just the interpretation because uh, they, yeah. they won't change the law midway through, midway through the season. If it's, if it's taken an example like this one to expose it, then it can't happen that often. So, like, what's the point in changing it now? Because it probably won't happen between now and the end of the season again. <laughs> <laughs> but if it does happen, now they know that they're going to, react differently to it I guess don't they so we'll but then, be interesting to see what happens when it does happen again actually I, I was going to say but, there, but then that team would quite rightly be able to say well hang on City had a goal for that and we, we're now having it chalked off come on like, it's, like the, <laughs> it's like the handballs thing in the in the box as soon as as soon as they realised that they were on course for something like 1200 penalties this season they went oh hang on we're being a bit strict with the handballs here let's roll back a bit and obviously that there's going to be somebody that loses out and I'm just yeah. Yeah. That's it. They very quietly rode back on that, didn't they? Like they didn't make a big fanfare about that at all. And you know, we are. We, I think we are seeing fewer complaints about VAR now than we were at the start of the season. Whether that is just because people are bored of complaining about it, I don't know. But I do think they have been a bit sensible with how they've kind of made little tweaks to the rules. Which you know, fair play to the suits and the corridors of power for that, I guess. Yeah, we are seeing a lot less VAR controversy, aren't we? It seems to have taken a bit of a, a backseat in terms of how often you see it. Which uh, is not great. not in the last two weeks, Chris, with City and offsides. That's all I'll say. Well, yeah, but, you know, overall, <laughs> yeah. Um, let's actually talk about the football now because we're ten minutes into the show and we've barely touched on it. Um, 
uh, Chris, it's, it feels like uh, we, we were talking in the past about City you know, improving over the last few weeks. It feels, though, now like they really are back to where they were in that kind of Centurion season. You know, They've pushed Gundogan forward. They've got wingers on the natural side. They're stretching the play. Uh, and that fifth goal against West Brom was, was, was kind of like a classic playbook, you know, Centurion season example, wasn't it? Get to the byline, cut it back, fella at the back as a tap-in. Yeah, we look frightening at the moment. Uh, you know, frightening to play against. Really firing on all cylinders, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's got me. Uh, I realised how made me realise how fickle uh, I am and what a hypocrite I am as a typical football fan. Really, where when we weren't doing so good, I was starting to think this, this, this COVID, no ground, no fans, football. It's <laughs> really not for me. I'm not enjoying this at all. I'm not enjoying the, the whole experience, but. I kind of am enjoying us playing like that, <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> um, I too yeah. have recovered from football fatigue in the last few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Remarkable recovery, like fucking Grandpa Joe in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Jumping <laughs> out of bed as who's the top of the league, you know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's uh, quite the turnaround. Yeah. yeah, loving it. We look very much back to our best and playing like that without De Bruyne as well is uh, great to see. How, how much needs to be tempered, Dan, by the fact that, A, it's West Brom, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's it, it was quite a favourable game for that to happen. But, I mean, in fairness, they've done it to, to decent teams recently. They were playing well against Villa, for instance. Yeah, it's a, it's a run of form that they're on, isn't it? I mean, West Brom were awful and are awful. Um, so I do think that the, the sort of praise City got should be, uh, you know, you should think about that. But we're just, we're just in fantastic form. I mean, it's something that has not been highlighted uh, too much to my knowledge is the fact that City are taking the chances nowadays and actually scoring the goals. You know, we're not seeing that kind of profligacy in front of goal. Um, they are a bit more clinical and then, you know, the back four and the teams defending as a whole, uh, as good as I've ever seen at City. Edison looks confident again. Bernardo is well and truly back in business, isn't he? I mean, there was there was a run that he went on for the, the Foden chance at nil-nil against West Brom, where that was the moment where I thought, this is, this is definitely like peak Bernardo back. Um, um, Foden's doing a great impression of, of Pete Leroy Sané on the wing. Sterling's looking a bit more like his old self. And, you know, what more can you say about Gundogan? He's, he's been superb, hasn't he? So everyone's playing for each other, putting a shift in. You know, we're getting eights and nines out of ten uh, from every player at the moment. And we're a joy to watch. And my my only worry about all this is what happens when Aguero is fit again. Does him coming back into the team disrupt our rhythm? You know, you look at the, the, the Gundogan goal, the first goal against West Brom the other night, and I don't think that goal happened happens if Aguero's there because because Gundogan wouldn't be in that space he'd be further back um maybe Aguero comes back in and starts banging in the goals and everything continues being wonderful or maybe his return has a knock-on effect elsewhere and we stop playing quite as fluidly it's it's a lovely problem for Pep to have isn't it don't get me yeah. wrong but um it's something he needs to think about there you have it ladies and gentlemen the real problem that City have had over the last few years has been Sergio Aguero uh <laughs> the words of Dan Burke uh, <laughs> uh, no not really uh Chris it, it is interesting though it, it does raise that point the false nine that City have been playing um it, it, has that been partly helping draw out teams that are sitting back and, and actually creating space for someone like Gundogan to ghost into and and stick up stick the ball in the net what's he I mean what's he on seven goals in well it's seven goals this season is it so it's six in eight games or something like that now? I think it certainly helps. Uh, it's just good to have that as an option and be able to to employ it in such a, you know, a, a well-tuned kind of manner. Um, I don't know about... It remains to be seen, doesn't it, what happens when Aguero does come back. Um, but, I mean, the fact is we can, we can play either way. So, you know, we've got, uh, dare I say it, we might actually have a plan B. 
well, that might be putting my neck on the block slightly, but yeah, I mean, for me though, the 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 main difference is the players when we've not got the ball, they, they just they just look so hungry and so well drilled. They, they're just giving the the opposition absolutely no chance. Like you look at a player when he gets the ball and we're trying to get it back, and he looks up and well, there's your first mistake. You've had to look up. There's yeah. now like snarling uh, midfielders snapping at your heels. They've just got no time, no options. All the lanes are closed. There's no. They have to just play it down, play it down the line where we snap it up immediately again, and then relentlessly go on the attack. It's just, like I say, just frightening uh, in terms of thinking about playing against that team if you're the opposition. The interesting thing in all of this, and let's touch on on City's defence, Dan, because um, you mentioned Edison looking like he's back to his best and you know City City keeping clean sheets and keeping the opposition out. Um City's goalkeepers are actually, you know, bottom of the league for the number of saves that they've made this season. Mm-hmm. So they're not they're not allowing the opposition to have shots against them this season. And on top of that, City I think it's I think they're 19th out of 20 on the number of tackles that they're making. So they're not even they they're not even having to take the ball off the opposition. They're putting the opposition under so much pressure that they just give it them back. <laughs> yeah. At least well, it is it's defending from the front. The pressing's been great uh, in recent weeks. Um they are getting themselves in the right positions where they don't have to make tackles. And um, yeah, that's interesting about Edison because he made a good save uh, against West Brom in the early stages, but I don't, don't recall him making many other good saves recently. I just don't recall him sort of uh, doing anything wrong, which is, you know, perfect for, for someone in his position where you don't have an awful lot to do. You are called upon, you know, only a handful of times during a game. And if you do the right thing, you'll keep a clean sheet more often than not. So yeah, I think a lot of it is down to Stones and Diaz and the the the, the understanding that they form, but the defence all over the pitch, you know, going from the fullbacks right from the front line is, has been brilliant. Well, let's talk fullbacks because uh, we've touched on him a little bit in recent weeks, but we should give him a, a bit of time uh, because uh, David Lamb on Twitter asks, what should we call the position and role that Cancelo is playing? It's not something we've seen before. False fullback is the best I've come up with, but I'm not even sure that covers it. Um, Chris, can you explain what Cancelo does and, and where he's playing? Because he pops up everywhere. He like Nominally, he is a fullback, but he's he's just not, is he? Well, he's played as a winger in his career before, hasn't he? I think it's hard to sort of pin down, you know, what he does in a sort of easy terms because he does everything. He does a bit of everything really well. He attacks well. He's good with both feet. He can um, he can play as fullback. He can play as a winger. He can play in midfield. He wherever there's a gap that he's needed to fill in, he knows exactly what his role is, and he and he acquits himself with you know. A plum every time. He's just a really cultured footballer, isn't he? I bet he makes a fantastic uh, cup of tea. He just seems to be great. At everything. <laughs> what What do you think sparked the change in him, Dan? Honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, Guardiola has, has spoken a bit about that this season, about how um, Cancelo came to the club last summer, uh, or the summer before, shall I say, with with expectations that weren't quite met. And I'm not really sure what he meant by that, whether it meant his playing time, whether he thought he'd be playing more often, or, or the role uh, that, he, that he was sort of expecting was, was a bit different when he got here. I, I don't really know. Um, you saw it You saw it towards the end of, of last season that he was he was starting to get a better understanding when he was, when he was playing left-back, mostly, actually, when he was kind of cutting in onto his right foot, we were seeing a bit more from him, and then it's he's just gone from strength to strength this season. So only he knows what a spark this changing him, I think. But it, but it's great to see, and he's he's 
doing a bit of everything at the moment. He's a he's a triple threat, and he? he can defend, he can create, he can he can score goals. He scored a goal with his left foot uh, as well um, the other night, by the way, which sort of puts to bed any concerns about him being a bit too right footed to play left back that I've had in the past as well. So yeah, um, he, he's been he's, he's been awesome. I think it's his attitude. You know, if you look at. Um, I quite like trying to sort of study the the body language and the, the facial expressions of players sometimes to try and get a bit of an insight into their into their heads and what's going on. And I called it on this show a few a couple of months ago. I don't know when it was, but I said he it will he would come good because he was having a bit of a sticky patch and he was getting a bit of grief. And I was like, you know, he, I think he'll turn it round because just the, just the way he applies himself, he just looks so determined. And it's that kind of work rate and determination and showing a bit of balls and having that tenacity to kind of overcome and adapt so that shows his his work rate and his intelligence and in a weird way it's almost more admirable to have a bit of a sticky start and not play well turn that round and become the player he is at the moment than just hitting the ground running say how diaz you know just that sort of overcoming adversities kind of gets more ad- admiration from me than, than just doing really well from the start, which is a bit weird, but I'm sure you know what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's, it's interesting though, Chris, because it, it kind of, it, it throws up that question again about the shape of the of the defence, because his improvement is obviously, it's going to put pressure on Kyle Walker because he's effectively, he's done nothing wrong to be out with the team. He got himself injured against Villa and uh, and hasn't been 100%, but he's, you know, he's, he's done nothing wrong in that position to, to warrant being dropped. But again, if you want Zinchenko on the left to offer you a left footer on, on that side, or you want Mendy on that side, then on, on form, you can't drop Cancelo, can you? On form, no. Um, and if he's, if the whole team stays on form, then it will it, there'll be a time where you have to rotate just to keep players fresh. And it's a good pressure, isn't it, to, for Walker to be under in terms of, you know, you've, you've not done anything wrong. He's not doing anything wrong. When you get your chance, you're just going to have to play really well and, and crack on with it. And if you want to be competing on all fronts, then that's the sort of pressure that um, drives teams on and, and, and helps players, hopefully. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's got to be good for the club, hasn't it? Yeah, despite all of that, though, Dan, is would you would you argue that City's strongest back four at the moment would include both Walker and Cancelo? I would, yeah. I mean, Zinchenko has been has been low key really good in the past few weeks. I think he's. Um... He's a player that I would have been quite happy to see the back of in the summer. Same with Cancelo, really. I wouldn't have been too upset if either of those players were sold in the summer. They've both been uh, pretty fundamental to the way we've been playing lately. Um, I, I th- I, but yeah, I think our best eleven at the moment is Walker right back and Cancelo left back. You know, the way the, the fullbacks are playing, tucked in so much, um, almost playing like attacking midfield positions most of the time, um, doesn't necessarily mean that you need a left-footed player at left back anymore I think if anything it's probably more advantageous to have a a guy who's really comfortable on his right foot coming in so um, that's what I'd like to see in in sort of the big games we've got coming up Walker and Cancelo playing I think I think Cancelo's form is really bad for Mendy I don't see how he gets in really and and I think this could lead to him being sold in the summer Um, and maybe we buy another left back in and have Cancelo competing with with that new left back rather than Mendy competing with the new left back because yeah I just don't think he he fits into the the way we want to play anymore and that's why he's not been getting games lately. Yeah Um, let's look at at the other positions in the defence as well because um, I mean Stones and Diaz we can't say any more good about them They've, they've performed perfectly over the last few weeks um the interesting thing though chris is it kind of leaves laporte left you know you know sat on his hands he's got he's got he's, he's barely got any chance of getting back into the team at the moment the chance he was given at cheltenham 
did you feel he could have done better for Cheltenham's goal? Um, well, they scored, so yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard, isn't it, when you've when you've been out for a, the length of time that he has uh, to come in and hit the ground running, and it's a difficult, you know, say what you like about it being lower opposition, lower league opposition, but it's a bit of a, a culture shock, I guess, uh, and the the sort of aerial battery that they were employing is far different than what perhaps he's be used to. But yeah, he should be dealing dealing with that a bit better. It doesn't seem to be too perturbed by it though. Um I'm you know, infamously not on Twitter, but I did get sent um something from my sister where he is basically just having a laugh, saying, you know, he he seems to be really positive in his output. He's not like clammed up or showing anything but uh you know great team spirit and i think he'll uh he'll just have to knuckle down and when he does get in same as walker same as aki same as when zinchenko comes in you just gotta just gotta crack on but he's a very gifted footballer um probably technically as good as anyone we've got in the defense but you can't you can't uh you can't put him in the center uh, at the moment he has he has been injured, Dan. Um, so he's like we're we're talking about him, you know, in the process of having come back for having just come back from an injury. Um, but how does he get into this team at the moment, or does he just simply have to wait? I think he has to wait for Stones or Diaz to get an injury, which is probably going to happen at some point, unfortunately. Um, maybe he has to wait for one of them to make a mistake as well, and he could be waiting a long time if that's the case. I mean, I feel really sorry for Laporte. I think it's incredibly harsh that he's he's lost his place in the team after basically switching off for a split second against Spurs and giving that first goal away. And, and now he can't get back in because Stones and Diaz have been so imperious. I mean, he... Laporte is one of the best centre-backs in the world. And at the moment, he can't get a game for club or country. I think it's unbelievably lucky, but that, that's football. And, and it's wonderful to know as a City fan that if anything were to happen to Stones or Diaz, we've got Laporte and Ake as the as the backup options. I just hope Laporte doesn't get too disillusioned with suddenly finding himself on the bench all the time because I'm sure his time will come again soon enough. Yeah. Um, the let's, let's look at the other end of the pitch now because the other player that was questioned after the Cheltenham game was Gabriel Jesus. Um, Dan, where do you think he is at the moment at City? Just because like he, he scored against Cheltenham, but he, he missed some sitters, didn't he? If I, I'd be worried if I was him. I think he's potentially in the last chance saloon at City. I mean, it could all depend on, on Aguero's future, but you know, if we are going to sign a new striker in the summer, it seems almost certain, then I wonder where Jesus fits into that. I, I think it speaks volumes that Guardiola's often played without a recognised striker, even when Jesus has been fit this season, uh, because I just don't think he can be relied upon to score consistently anymore. Um, he's a very talented player. You know, We know all about his, his sort of work off the ball and his pressing game, but at the moment he just isn't quite good enough for City and I think his time might be running out to convince Pep that he's that he's going to improve. Well, Chris, have a listen to this because these are uh, Gabriel Jesus's stats because the, the criticism that, that gets levelled at Jesus all the time mm. is effectively that he's a stat padder. He, he plays, he scores a load of goals against lower league opposition or, you know, in in dead rubbers in the Champions League, that yeah, sort of yeah. thing. Um, overall, he's got 73 goals in 169 appearances. That's a goal every 2.3 appearances. And that's, when I say appearances, I'm including like off the bench for 10 minutes at the end of games, that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Um, 43 goals in 112 Premier League appearances. So again, about 2.6, um, uh, a goal every 2.6 games. Um, 10 of those 73 overall have been against lower league opposition. Uh, so 63 haven't. 
Five mm. of his 13 Champions League goals have been in the knockout stages. So against uh, one, a couple against Liverpool, um, obviously he played really well against Real Madrid. So it's kind of this enigma at the moment. So he's 23. Uh, he's playing second fiddle to one of the greatest centre-forwards that the world has ever seen. Um, and his stats do actually bear out as being pretty good. Um, and apart from goals, we've already acknowledged that his work rate, his contributions to the team is, you know, really up there. I mean, he, he works his socks off, doesn't he? Um, Pep seems to appreciate that. I, I don't know. I disagree there, Dan, to be honest. I hope, I hope you're wrong um, because I, I like him. And even if he's... Um, sometimes when he is on the pitch, it's like we're not playing with a recognised striker because he'll put him on the left anyway. And... Um, I, I'm all for that and I don't know I just think he's someone I would prefer to have in, in the squad if we sold him in the summer I, I personally would be pretty gutted to be honest uh, I really really rate him well maybe maybe his best position isn't actually as a number nine centre forward yeah no this is what yeah I, I would I would uh, be an advocate of that um, he, he does miss some chances doesn't he he misses quite a lot of chances where you'd think you'd, and I've said it myself Aguero buries that um, but I think a lot of that is confidence. He's in, he's not the first choice striker. Maybe that would that confidence. I mean, it's goals, isn't it? Confidence. But maybe if um, things improve or change a little, he'll get more confidence and he'll start banging the goals in even more than his impressive record uh, proves that he, that he already does. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, it's time to move on, and it's time to hear the final part of our interview with former City goalkeeper David James. In the last two shows, he's spoken about his move to Eastlands, the reasons behind him leaving in 2006, and that time he played up front against Middlesbrough. This week, he begins by discussing the difference between Main Road, where he played for Liverpool, Aston Villa and West Ham, and the city of Manchester Stadium. Having remembered playing at that stadium for, again, Youth Cup start with, and then obviously in the Premier League, and then joining Man City and going to the uh, Eastlands, as it was at the time, um, and if I can use an anecdote of the taxi driver who took me from Piccadilly Station to Eastlands, um, the, I said to him about the uh, the new stadium, and he said it's not the same as the old one. Now I can I can relate to that, and you know the two or draws a prime example of the the atmosphere at Main Road, and uh, I'm not sure again how many Man City fans are aware that prior to uh, the Premier League, Manchester United's record attendance was held at main road if I'm not wrong Um, which I love uh, because with all the rivalry between the two clubs seems slightly ironic that their best attendance was actually at Man City but anyway um, I was talking to the taxi driver and he went yeah there's no atmosphere they separate the singers and and I I got it when he he was saying I understood exactly what he meant Um, I did happen to say to him that obviously performances will influence the the mood of a crowd and uh, it wasn't too long before I participated in my first Manchester derby. Um, if I remember, it was 4-1. I, for some reason, I thought it was 3-1, but it was 4-1. We won the game and uh, Eastlands was rocking. And everything, the, the, the words of the taxi driver keep sort of coming back to me. And I was thinking, he obviously doesn't know what he was talking about. So, uh, yeah, um, Main Road was a fantastic ground, fantastic stadium. Um, the fact that it was in its traditional way, in the middle of a load of houses um, and even driving, you know, sort of from, um, from Eastlands 
back across uh, to the Wirral where I lived, quite often I'd go past um, the roads near Main Road um, and just think, you know what, there's a big old stadium just behind those houses. So uh, fond memories. Yeah, um, you mentioned the the four one win over United. Um, that was, I think, that was your first Manchester derby actually. In in the, after you after you arrived, uh, did you feel any pressure with it being the first one at the new stadium as well? Like that that moment in history. No, no it, 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 and again, I mean, this. I think from my career, what I learned leaving Liverpool um, was that what I was like at Liverpool was the wrong way of being. As I say, everything was ultra competitive. Um, you know, from the point of playing a game and trying to win it to uh, to who could get the biggest laugh on the bus type thing, it was uh, it was a very very strange environment. And when you sort of add that to you're playing against the, uh, one of your fierce competitors in matches, then I think a lot of it got lost um, more in the, in the competition or the perception of the competition than the actual match itself. So, you know, I. I play against Manchester United for Liverpool and all of a sudden there was a, a massive big deal about it. Um, once I'd left Liverpool, playing against Manchester United was not the same uh, in a good way. I wasn't getting lost in any kind of uh, rivalry and arguably, you know, Man City versus Man United is a bigger bigger rivalry because it's a local rivalry rather than just a, uh, a, a sort of competitive, we won more than you rivalry. And um, I think that day winning 4-1, it was just, it was, it was beautiful because we got to, and, and <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm laughing to myself because I, I lived on the Wirral. So it, driving down the motorway to the stadium, it's a vivid memory of this banner going across the motorway saying, Man United fans go back to London. And it kind of, it, it, I think there was a few more words put in there somewhere, but it, it just, when I was driving, I started chuckling to myself because I was thinking, yeah, Man City is the, Man- the, the city of Manchester's team, whereas Man United is supported by everyone el- everywhere else. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? So uh, I think there was a, more than just football clubs. It was almost like a, a region um, against the others in that game. And as I say, winning it 4-1, I mean, John Macken, scoring was again slightly ironic um but yeah i mean it, it was just a wonderful feeling and uh it wasn't pressure no it was just you know it was again it was pure football true football uh one team versus another and um the better team won you say as well that you don't remember uh nil nils very well there's there's one I, i'm going to bring up another nil nil now um it was at stanford bridge against chelsea uh it, i remember it, that one. Yeah, Mourinho's first season at, at chelsea <laughs> yeah. City were the only team to, to, to not lose to his side. Um, there, there was a, a cracking save you made right at the death against Frank Lampard. Well, interestingly, we were the only team not to concede against them that season, um, which I think from our defensive uh, perspective was was magnificent, especially when Chelsea romped the league. Um, I mean, the fact that Nicholas Nelka scored the penalty um, at uh, Eastlands to win it 1-0 um, and... As you say, we're the only team to beat them and not lose to them. Uh, I did. I, I think I did a, a bit of research one day where I was trying to find out how many times that had actually happened. I mean, obviously with the Invincibles, no one had beat them at all. But um, yeah, the, the save. Now, Tim Flowers is a goalie coach. Uh, the late Pete Benetti, you have to mention him because he was there originally, which was nice because Pete was my goalie coach at Watford as well. So uh, there was a nice bit of synergy there and a, a reuniting of... Uh, 
of uh, two work colleagues in a sense. But um, Tim Flowers has taken over, and Tim had these very good training sessions, and there were certain drills that he did. And that week we did a side volley from six, seven yards drill. Okay. So basically I had to turn off the post and he did this volley and as you can imagine from that sort of distance and the fact it was a side volley, quite a few of them went in, but it was just a, you know, like a sharpening thing. So when the ball came to Frank in the last, I think it was the last minute, he, he essentially, he hit Tim Flowers' training shot. So having made the save, it was one of those weird feelings where great save, yeah, one, nil, nil, and then walking off and it was like, yeah, great, kept a clean sheet. Um, but it it wasn't, <laughs> strangely it wasn't as good as maybe it could have been if we hadn't have been training to do it the week before do you know what I mean uh, and again it, this is one of those weird things in football you, you, you look at it and you go actually we did an exercise which may never happen and then all of a sudden it happens in the, in the week that you're doing the training exercise and it gets you the point and uh, um, you sort of look at a goalie coach and go thanks that was that was down to you that one. So uh, yeah, I, I do as much as I say I don't often remember nil nils. That was an important one. Not not so much for the save, but the fact that as I say, we were the only uh, the only side that Chelsea didn't score against that season, which was uh, which was very nice. Um, I, I want to to finish by asking you about uh, one defensive partnership that you played behind, uh, because still even to to this day. Uh, City fans will talk about how good Sylvain Distan and Richard Dunn were together in front of a goalkeeper like yourself. What, what's it like playing behind a, a pairing like that? It's, oh, do you know what? Those two. <laughs> yeah, those two. I mean, you've got two of the uh, very different characters. Um, and I say that because Sylvain being a Frenchman, who I actually started learning French because of um, because of Sylvain and uh, Antoine Sylvester, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, Sylvain was the most English Frenchman that I'd ever met. Uh, yeah, it was funny because you know, obviously the sort of uh, the changing face of English footballers, or should I say Premier League footballers, obviously not English footballers, uh, the, the sort of influx of foreign players. And, and at that time, I think there was a, a lot more French players um, Sylvain was not your typical French player, and I don't mean this in he's sort of like <laughs> he was an Englishman. He d- it didn't mean that he he conducted himself in in the way that the old English footballers used to do, but it was just he didn't mind you know doing what the uh, the English guys were doing, going out with the boys and uh, I say the boys, the lads, and uh, yeah, just a really really funny guy. And Dunny was a humorous. Um, I wouldn't say as out much uh, uh, as outgoing as the rest of the uh, the guys. But to play behind him, I mean, you knew what you're going to get. Um, Dunny could get angry. Sylvan could get angry. He would tackle with his wrong foot. There's, there's so many things that weren't sort of traditional in, in either of them. But playing behind him and then playing well meant we would have good results. Um, yeah, I, 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 I had a lot of time for those two, definitely. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. 
There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. The full interview with David James, which is nearly an hour long, is now available for everyone who backs the show on Patreon. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast for more details. And you can also get ad free versions of the main show on there now as well. Uh, If you're happy to wait, though, that full interview with David James will go on blue moon podcast.com at the end of the season. Uh, Time now to look ahead at the games coming with uh, Sheffield United and Burnley. Chris, uh, it's very easy to say that Sheffield United uh, would take care of itself, but they're they're in form at the moment now, aren't they? Well, I mean, they beat uh, a fairly pedestrian uh, team last night in... um, Who was it? I watched it, but I didn't... (laughs) Was it United? Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? They beat at home. Yeah, that was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? What a... It really does improve the feeling of City winning when United go and do that. What an absolute <laughs> treat! Oh, I, I had that with relish. Did you watch? Did you see that second goal? The second goal oh was incredible. God. If City defended like that against against Sheffield United uh, and and lost the game, I would be apoplectic. Especially now that, um, like, you look at how it's affected the league table. United now sit a, a point behind City, having played a game more. It was like walking football. Like the defence, they were just standing about. It was absolutely unbelievable and hilarious. So let me yeah. let me tell you, Chris. Uh, my dad plays walking football, or he did before uh, the pandemic, and uh, I've played in goal in, in, their, in some of their walking football games. I've seen defenders move quicker. I honestly have. I was surprised. Yeah. It was great. More yeah. of that, please. Uh, Dan, City struggled at Bramall Lane, um, but that was a different city to what what this city is now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually looking at the the lineup from the last game now, and it's pretty similar to the way we've been we've been playing recently. The, the midfield was Rodri with De Bruyne and Bernardo, and then the forward line was Sterling, Torres, and Mares. So you know, you're not you, you won't be surprised if if obviously De Bruyne won't play, but you won't be surprised if it was a similar kind of lineup um, and, and, and the, the game coming up as well. Um, but obviously, the form is completely different to how it was then. There was that was a game where they, you know, they were uh, being a bit wasteful in front of goal and, and might have won it a bit more comfortably had they had they taken some of their chances. They also gave a couple of chances away, which I'd, I don't think would would be the uh, would be the case the way that they're defending at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, you sort of look at that performance against United and think they they can do damage to teams. They're not completely, uh, you know, a write off just yet. But I kind of think with stuff like that, lightning doesn't usually strike in the same place twice, does it? Surely they're not going to be able to pull the result out against United and City in the same week. Famous last words. Yeah, I just realised as well. You asked me about Sheffield United, and I just seized the opportunity to slag off uh, Man United for right. like a few minutes. But nothing wrong with that. No, but, but I was watching a bit of that game, and um, they look really good in possession at times when when they've got the ball in the last last third. They, they seem to be passing it about um, really well to make spaces, you know, from the wing and then working it in toward the box. I was thinking, how are they? How are they down there doing so badly when they look, um, you know, that good? And maybe, maybe it's just the quality of the opposition on the night. But yeah. we should have too much for them, you'd hope. Well, that's the thing. It's like, if, if, with all due respect to Manchester United's players, I don't feel like City's players would let them get away with playing it around so easily. I, I feel, Dan, like we were talking before the press, 
City would City would get out them get out at them and, and get in the faces a bit more. You look at how uh, Gundogan's been playing. You look at how even Rodri in the last few weeks has been uh, has looked a lot more settled in that that kind of defensive role. Well, I, I'll answer this with no due respect to Manchester United's players and say, uh, yeah, I, I think I was surprised by how many chances um, Sheffield United created against them actually because that's been their biggest problem this season that they've um, they've really struggled for chances and, and people getting on the end of those chances. And I think that was Oliver Burke's first goal for them, the, the winning goal in this game as well. So any relation? Uh, yeah, my mother. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't expect <laughs> you wouldn't expect City to give away those kind of chances the way we're defending recently, and you would expect us to uh, be better going forward than United were against them as well. So, um, all that said, yeah, it, it's it's very difficult for me to look past a, a comfortable victory for City. Yeah, and um, with all due respect to Manchester United, i.e. none, because none is due, I think if we defend <laughs> like they did, then Pep is going to strap uh, our players into a human catapult and fling them over the walls of the, the stadium. Yeah, I uh, what an image that is. Um, speaking of Pep, how does he go about rotating uh, for this one, Chris? Because uh, like on the horizon, City have got a couple of difficult games coming up, but obviously until then, it's kind of intensive... That they're in a, they're in the middle of this run of games where we're expecting them to pick up three points, you know, you know, in pretty much every one of them. Uh, you've got Gundogan who has been in exceptional form, and you can't really drop him. Bernardo's been coming back into form; you can't really drop him. But yet, you can't keep expecting them to play ninety minutes every three days. Mm. I mean, we've got Sheffield United, then we've got Burnley, then we've got Liverpool. Swansea in the FA Cup. Um, I suppose, yeah. Would we? You can you can trust um, bringing say Laporte and maybe um, Zinchenko in against Sheffield United. You want it, you want your full strength eleven for Liverpool. Um, I don't know. Would you would you play Zinchenko against Sheffield United? Depends uh, what he's thinking. We've got the players to rotate. There's no point in second guessing Pep. I've found yeah. um, because he always just pulls out something left field. But yeah, we've got enough players to rotate it. I expect him to rotate it with a with a a, a big eye on um, Liverpool, Tottenham, and, and Arsenal, where we'll main we'll hopefully have like full strength apart from De Bruyne to pick from. So probably expect to see some of the players who haven't been as involved against uh, Sheffield, Burnley and um, Swansea in the Cup. Yeah, well, let's turn attention to uh, to Turf Moor because City have already won there uh, once already this season, Dan. Um, but again, like it, it feels like two different sides because Burnley aren't in the same rut that they were in then. No, well, they they have a habit of starting the season really badly and then picking up some form around the middle, uh, which is what they've done the past couple of years and what what, what seems to be happening now. Um, I watched them against Liverpool and was really impressed with how quickly they kind of like transitioned from attack to defence and got men behind the ball like really, really quickly. Um, and I'm sure we're going to see plenty of that against City, um, although with them being at home, the onus is on them to uh, attack us a little bit more, I guess. Um, and they have got attacking threats too. I mean, Dwight McNeil's a really good crosser of the ball. We've seen that the last couple of games. And, and when he does get balls into the box they've got players like Ashley Barnes Chris Wood who can get on the end of stuff so there's potential for, for problems there and I think I think it'll be a tough test but again I expect City to win pretty comfortably because like why shouldn't I given the form that we're in at the moment I guess yeah Turf Moor has always been one of those places I, I always find uh, Chris that you can tell how City's season's going by their result at Turf Moor does that make sense yeah I'd say that's probably a pretty reliable uh, barometer in terms of 
you know what you're going to get from them. And if we can stand up to that kind of uh, brutish approach to the beautiful game, then you know we should be uh, able to, to handle anything else. It's a type of game which I would expect uh, Diaz to step up and... Uh, Absolutely eat. relish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Quite looking forward to that. He'll make a mistake now, won't he, and loses the game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, it's, is this a, a test of the title credentials, uh, do you think, Chris? Do you think if they, come, if they come out of these two games and they've got six points, then they're well on their way? Definitely. I mean, it's kind of dependent on other results as well. Hopefully, uh, the others around us will continue to, to flounder to the extent that they have been doing. Um, there's this real chance for us here to, to pull away, isn't there? Um, it's kind of it's kind of like watching someone who, you know, in a long-distance race where the pack are kind of tripping up over each other at the front and you're just on the shoulder waiting and waiting and then you just start to, to outstrip as they're desperately trailing in your wake and hopefully we can put that sort of run together Put, put a bit of distance between us and the rest and then uh, it's just ours to lose then, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, speaking of industrial tackles, did you see uh, what Aston Villa tweeted, Dan, um, about their game at Burnley the other night? No, I didn't actually. Yeah, it said, uh, they tweeted, uh, 22 minutes, we're at Turf Moor, so obviously our striker's just been on the end of a dreadful challenge. Uh, Tarkovsky's been booked. <laughs> well, yeah, it's big boy football, lads, get, get with it. <laughs> I mean, as Chris was saying there, though, Dan, um, like it's people are expecting this run of, of seven wins now to be extended. Um, does it does it have to be extended in the you know ahead of this Liverpool game? Because City City need to be able. I, I always feel City going to Anfield. They need that cushion of if everything goes wrong as it normally does, everything will still be okay in the bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, I still think Liverpool are our, our, our closest challengers this season. I don't really buy United's title challenge, especially after watching them against Sheffield United. I don't think Tottenham have got got it. Um, I don't think Leicester are going to are going to last the distance. So uh, I think it's I think it's going to be either us or them, despite the the recent kind of run of form that they've been on. And it would be great if we could go into that game. What are we seven points clear now with? Same games played, so if they if they beat Tottenham, then we'll be four points clear with a game in hand. If that's the cushion going into that game at Anfield still, that will be lovely. If it's even greater than that, even better. Um, I am really interested to see how the game at Anfield goes this season with no fans there, and and, and whether that is actually what's been sort of uh, you know getting on <laughs> holding City back all this time. Yeah, well, it's got to be something, hasn't it? And maybe it's the famous spirit of Shankly or whatever you want to call it, the roar of the cop. Um, Will there be fans there, though? I mean, there was quite a few fans celebrating their um, league win, wasn't there? Maybe there's going to be a socially distanced mob outside baying at us through masks and chucking sanitised bottles uh, for a safe distance of the coach. You never know. You never know. Not quite past them, yeah. Yeah. Right, well, no wins this week in a predictable return to form for us on the charity bet. That means we stay on £415 that we've raised so far this season. Each of the panel gets a £10 correct score single with William Hill and the winnings are going to the Christie, which treats more than 60,000 cancer patients each year. Um, Chris, I'm going to start with you for, uh, for these two games. What are you having for Sheffield United? Sheffield United, I'm going to go for three goals to the Mighty Blues and one goal to the Chef U's. Uh, that is 11 to 1 and £110 if you're right. Uh, about Turf Moor, Burnley? Burnley nil, City 2. I'm going for that. And that is 5 to 1 and £50 if you're right. Dan, where are you going for uh, Sheffield United? 4 nil, City. Uh, 7 to 1 and £70. And Burnley? 3 1, City. 
Uh, that's nine to one and ninety pounds. Uh, I've gone five uh, nil for Sheffield United because I wrote that one down before their uh, performance at Old Trafford, and that's twelve to one and hundred and twenty pounds if I'm right. And because I originally wanted two nil against Burnley, and then I wanted three one, and they've both gone, I've gone for three nil, and that's thirteen to two and sixty five pounds if I'm right. Uh, remember, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change, and please gamble responsibly. You can find out more on begambleaware.org. Time now to hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about the pressures of dealing with rival fans. There's been something playing on my mind for a week or so. It reoccurred this thought when I saw the usual excuse making for Liverpool fans after exiting the FA Cup at their usual stage, against United on Sunday. I guess reaching the fourth round counts as a good FA Cup run for Jurgen Klopp though. Yeah, naturally for some Liverpool fans on Twitter, going out was a good thing. You know, the schedule and all that. The thing is, City going out on Saturday could have had its benefits too. But there's a time and a place. If we're going out, don't do it against a League 2 side. And if you're a Liverpool fan, don't dress up losing to United as a good thing either. You're fooling no one. You went into the game wanting to win and you lost. Simple as that. But the thing that's been playing on my mind was a comment from a Liverpool fan that no one would care if City won the league this season because, he heavily hinted, or maybe he said it outright, I can't remember, that they didn't really matter to other fan bases. You know the most amazing thing about a Liverpool or United fan saying that no one cares if City win the league, but loads do if their teams do, is what a spectacular cell phone it is. Because what they are essentially saying is that loads of people hate their fan base. I mean, why else would any fan care which other team won the league? Now, it's perfectly plausible for you to hate a team winning because of their players or even their manager. Perhaps you're just sick of them winning all the time and would rather an underdog triumph. I would love Burnley to be relegated because their style of play would cure the most stubborn case of insomnia. Though it's probably not the right week to say that. In Spain, not that I'm overly bothered, I would rather Atletico Madrid go on to win the league rather than the usual two, as I'm sick of their dominance and perhaps a bit of arrogance too, and it would make a change to see someone else triumph, rather than the usual suspects in most of Europe's big leagues. But let's be honest, the main reason we want the team to fail is because of their fans. Over the past two seasons, I didn't want Liverpool to fail because I wanted to laugh at James Milner. I had little hate for them the previous time they won the Champions League, which just happened to precede the era of social media. It was a different world then. Now I want them to fail, because I knew what it would be like to venture onto the internet if they so much as got a sniff of success. Unbearable, and that's how it panned out, as you well know. After all, as Liverpool fans are keen to point out, they do not have a rivalry with City, however hard we may try to create one. So what other possible reason could us City fans and fans of numerous other clubs want them to fail? It's a mystery for sure, one that would test the mind of Sherlock Holmes or even Columbo. So what those fans are essentially saying is that if City win the league, their fans won't be insufferable arses. They just don't realise it because a common trait among such fans is a very low level of self-awareness. And by low, I mean non-existent. Sure, the exception is that you never want a local rival to win, but then you're ingrained to think that all their fans are idiots anyway, so the water is muddied somewhat. But this still misses the major point. Put rivalries and fan bases to one side, and there's still one very good reason for other fan bases to cope better with City win the league compared to Liverpool United, Arsenal and more. And that's because they're used to it. That's it. It's that simple when you boil seemingly complex issues down sometimes. 
Compare how you would feel this season if United won the league compared to how you felt in 2011 when they won it for the 11th time in 18 years. Rather different for obvious reasons. Of course, that year they won the league merely an hour before we kicked off against Stoke in the 2011 FA Cup final. But whenever they won it, it would not have mattered that much to me. That day, only one game mattered for all City fans. The United's title win would have happened at some point. It's timing irrelevant. And it's all we knew as City fans, so it was easier to dust off. Them not winning the title was always a bonus, but them winning it was par for the course. But as I headed back from Wembley that night in 2011, a town centre landlord texted to say to be careful as we alighted at Piccadilly as there were United fans looking to pick off and fight with City fans they encountered. On the day they won the league, a small minority chose to look for a fight against a fan base whose club had won its first trophy in well over a generation. Rather telling as the tide slowly turned. Almost as if they found it hard to accept because it was not what they were used to. They'd have to get used to it pretty soon though. There is one other theory, I'm not specifically referring to this season, because even after a 5-0 thrashing of West Brom, I do not think City will run away with the league, and I think it will be tight. But the final theory is that sometimes it's easy to accept a team winning the league, and more, when you resign yourself to them not only clearly having the best team, but the best manager too. That certainly is relevant when looking at the Centurion season. And when Liverpool won the league at a canter last season, at least I had time to acclimatise myself for the moment they were crowned champions. Though it didn't help that much, to be honest. But I am slightly acclimatised to Liverpool's success and the consequences on my social media feeds. I've blotted out the worst defenders and can kind of handle it now, though obviously their recent travails have been a most welcome tonic. But it should be clear to see, Liverpool winning the title for a second successive season would be easier to take than United winning the title for the first time in eight years. And United winning the title always hit me harder anyways, because, well, you know, United. It shouldn't need explaining. So what that Liverpool fan is saying is this, translated into a more digestible and simple form. Few will care if City win the league because they're used to it and accept that they have a better team and manager than everyone else. Maybe he just couldn't express that message within the confines of 280 characters. Anyway, it's hard to accept, but United are City's main title challengers right now. Even the bookies agree with me, and you never see a poor bookie and all that. Now, let's stop. That sentence was what I wrote before Wednesday night's games. Let's see what else I wrote, shall we? Here we go. If I had a pound for every time I read online a City fan saying United are rubbish as they win yet another game... I'd be able to pay off Barcelona's debt. They're getting results, that's the only fact that matters and are clearly a threat, being top of the table and all that. Well, there you go. One game, eh, and everything changes. How on earth did that happen? City have got Sheffield United next, of course, so I cannot mock too much. But that was one result I could never have envisaged. It seems that those that proclaim that United could not keep winning whilst phoning in average performances at best were right, at least for now and hopefully for all time. It's Arsenal away next, so if the home side can at least avoid defeat, City are set very, very, very fair indeed. And win their game, of course, before facing high-scoring, free-flowing football connoisseurs Burnley, and they're in an even better position. For City, the opportunity is there. We're only at the halfway stage, though it feels like the season has been going on much longer, which may be linked to cabin fever. But City will surely go to Anfield with a cushion in the league. It's seven points at the moment, and looking at Liverpool's fixture list, let's hope it's at least that when we play them, or to rephrase, four points in a game in hand. I may prefer Liverpool over United if City were not to win the league, but at least a Liverpool demise will 
you would hope, ease off the hyperbole from their very tinted media sycophants. I mean, we all need a break, right? After all, and I haven't checked, but I can safely assume the Liverpool echoes somehow crowbarred Liverpool into the demise of Frank Lampard at Chelsea, right? How Frank Lampard's touchline spat with Jurgen Klopp sowed the seeds for his eventual dismissal. It'll be there on the internet somewhere. Anyway, City are purring right now, so naturally it must be time to change the rules again, especially after City's second goal at the Hawthorns. After all, on current form, this is the only way Liverpool are going to retain their title. Seems it's not as easy as some thought. Fancy that. It takes genius. It takes a relaxed man sat in a dugout, smiling and laughing as it all comes together nicely, as he always suspected it would do from the moment he signed that new contract. Hi, this is Kevin Hallock, and you are listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Howard Hawking there, and for the final part of the show, we're doing Ask the Panel, so get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast, or you can email us as well, just go to bluemoonpodcast.com. There's an email form you can fill in on there. Uh, first up on Twitter, Adam Carter asks, uh, with Ed Dzeko falling out with Roma, would a six-month deal to the end of the season be worth it if City could get him back? Um, where do you stand on that one, Dan? I would love it if he came back. I really would. It would be it would be fantastic to see. In fact, I'm looking at a picture of him photoshopped into the current City kit right now, and it looks wonderful. So I'd love that to become a reality. I just don't see it happening. I don't really think we need a player like him. Um, I don't really think we need a striker at this moment in time, you know, given that we're, we're worried about where Aguero is going to fit in when he comes back. Why, why do we need to add even more uh, strikers to the mix? You know, it'd be lovely to, to have him back and, and bring him on uh, for the last 10 minutes to lie down on the pitch at Goodison Park later in the season <laughs> but yeah I'd, I'd be amazed if it, if it actually came off there was a I think City Extra tweeted something about um, one of the reports where they were basically saying that Jacko's agent has offered him to City and the club have kind of said no offence but we don't need you so it's not going to happen and yeah I think that's probably going to be the case yeah Chris how would you feel if uh, if, if Jacko were to be pulling on this season's kit for City and uh, walking out at the Etihad mm, Karma Coma Edin Jacko from Roma um, I think it. I would love to see it, but I don't think it's a particularly good idea. Uh, I mean, we did have uh, we did have that Plan B option we tried for a season or so, where when things were going against us, we would start chucking the ball into the box, uh, despite all of our forwards being under six foot. So if we were going to, you know, continue with that, it might be. You know, if he turns up for us and gets a few goals, then it's a win-win, surely. But I don't know. He's 34. Is he really going to be wanting to up sticks and come back? It's always a risk going back, isn't it? In uh, in most things, and he'd have to up his work rate. He'd have to. I was going to say he's not he's not entirely a pet player, is he? Exactly. That was going to be my my uh, ultimate sort of take on that. Is I don't really think he's a he's a pet player, but the uh, hopeless romantic in me would love to see him um, in in that blue shirt. Maybe I'll have to make do with with the photoshops. Yeah. Uh, final question this week comes from uh, Johnny Westall uh, on the emails. Uh, he's emailed in to say, uh, if in the summer City have the funds and the outlay was around a hundred million pounds, would you rather go for the past and 
signed for at least a couple of seasons the greatest player the world has ever seen in Lionel Messi, accepting that he's on the wane, but basking in the glory of him joining? Or would you spend that same £100 on the future, a player on the wax, in someone like Jack Grealish? He's talented, mercurial, divisive, but he quickens the pulse and he owns the game and he's homegrown for the quota, who could start for the next 10 years. Um, and it's interesting that, that Grealish was the name on that email, Dan, because as I was reading through it, I, I, I immediately assumed it was going to be Erling Haaland, that, that the other name was there. And then Jack Grealish completely took me by surprise. <laughs> yeah, because, well, yeah, I, I understand the question. I don't, I don't really think Messi and Grealish are, are comparable um, players in any way. Like, I don't think we would we would go for Grealish instead of Messi. It would be more likely that we'd go for Haaland or Mbappe instead of Messi. Um, and my answer to that question would be, I think we should go for Haaland above all else because I think he's fantastic. <laughs> and I think we need to, we need to keep, uh, we need to get a player like that you know, one of these guys who's going to be, you know, Ballon d'Or contention for the next generation. Whereas with Messi, obviously, I would I would love to see him as well. But at 34, I don't really think he's going to, you know, offer as much longevity. And I don't want us to miss out on a on a younger player for that reason. So I, I would say Haaland would be my dream signing for the summer. Grealish would be a great signing as well. I think he's a, a wonderful player. I just wonder where he gets into the team at the moment with, with our midfielders playing so well, with, with Foden there, with, you know, even Tommy Doyle uh, coming through potentially. You know, I thought he, he played quite well against Cheltenham at times. So it wouldn't surprise me if he went for Grealish. I think he's, he's definitely been sort of uh, twerking at City recently, hasn't he? And he's always going on about Kevin De Bruyne and all that kind of thing. So um, I think he, he would be up for coming, but uh, I don't really know whether I want him to. I wonder if he slid into the DMs of the official account, you know. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, lads, you know, I'm available if you need me, lads. Just, you know. yeah. uh, it's interesting, uh, Chris, because uh, given the choice between Grealish or, or Messi, Dan's gone for Haaland. Uh, who would you go for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, it was a nice little dodge, that, wasn't it? But I, I can't really disagree with Dan there. Um, I do, I like uh, Grealish as a player. Um, he is on the wax. Um, that's just his hair and he does give out the wax as well if you look at the injury state of Kevin De Bruyne and Kyle Walker um, certainly slided into something in, in the club about the DM it's just maybe the DM midfield but um, yeah he's he's a great player I think he's like uh, he's like Bernardo on steroids but I'm quite happy with the Bernardo we've got um, yeah I don't really want uh, to sacrifice anyone for his fatted calves uh, you might say um, Messi, pff, he's just a phenomenon, isn't he? But he's a t- t- type of player you'd want to build a team round, and I don't think we really want to. I was going to say though, if you're if you're ruling out Edin Dzeko because he's 34, then I mean, come on, you've got to rule out Messi because he's 34. <laughs> yeah, but Messi's Messi, um, so I wouldn't rule him out because of that. I'm, although it is, a, yeah, that's, yeah, I am ruling him out, and I agree with you, despite what I just said. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Erling Haaland over uh, Messi or, or Grealish, Dan's got it spot on. Yeah, uh, just As to, I keep saying to people, Wilfred Bonny is a free agent. He's right there. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Why is that? <laughs> uh, just a, a quick word on Haaland before we finish. Um, Dan, it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, City would be would be quite open to this move because of how good Haaland is, even though in the past they, they've made it clear they're not going to deal with Mino Raiola, who is Haaland's agent. Yeah, I mean, it's. I understand their reservations about Raiola because he's a dick, but it is a bit sort of cutting your nose off to spite your face a bit, isn't it? If you if you're not gonna, um, you know, go because he represents so many good players as well. So if you're not gonna 
uh, target these players just because he's the agent. I think it's a bit silly, and you know, he, he'll, he'll drive a hard bargain. We'll, we'll end up paying over the odds for for Haaland if we do go for him. But I, I think they've got to go for him. You know, yeah. it's that play for City. It's there's even a bit of romanticism there. There's like photos of him wearing City shirt as a kid and stuff, isn't there? So make yeah. it happen, please. Uh, Give me, give me, give me, no, some cash, but stuff it into his annoying mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Who were the last father and son to play for City? Was it Casper and Peter Schmeichel? Must be, Uh, must be. Yeah, Um, Um, I can't think of any others off my head. Dimaggio, Wright, Phillips in the academy as well, aren't we? So, Kevin De Bruyne and Zinchenko. That was an open goal, Chris. Um, just on, uh, on on Haaland again very quickly. It, it's almost in that position where uh, it, it's, it, it feels like it has to be this summer. If you're going to go out and get him, make it this summer, whatever the payment is, isn't it? it like it, you, you don't want to give clubs like Real Madrid and, and Barcelona the time to get the money together while they're having money troubles. If City have got that 100 million or 150 million or whatever, just pay it. Yeah, I mean, apparently we've been scrimping and saving, so hopefully we should have enough uh, in reserves to go out, you know, pull out all the stops, get him. It's like a double negative, and if we don't get him, then somebody else does, and that isn't gonna isn't gonna bode well for us. We really, really do need to fill um, that centre forward berth because unfortunately the legend that is Sergio is not going to be uh, with the club for forever, and this kid just looks absolutely mustard, doesn't he? Like. Please, 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 please get him. Yeah, and uh, you say they've been scrimping and saving. They they did announce today, I don't know if you saw it. I mean, in all the big football news, I could understand why you missed it. Uh, but they did announce today that they've renewed their uh, and uh, expanded their global partnership with Medea World, who is the world's number one air treatment brand. And if, you're, if your football club does not have a link with an air treatment brand, then I don't know what are they playing at, to be honest with you. Well, in What's these pandemic treatment? times, I mean, yeah, the air needs treating these days. <laughs> I don't know what air treatment is, but the, the other advert that I get confused by, Dan, is the one that says, let's solve water. I didn't know that was a problem. But I, I, <laughs> I, what, what does that mean? I, I understand if it's like, like let's provide water to people who need water. I get that. But let's solve water doesn't doesn't explain anything about what the business does. No, it should be pretty low down the list of priorities, that really, at the moment, shouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, so that brings to an end this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening to this nonsense. And uh, thank you as well to my guests, uh, Dan Burke. Thank you very much. And Chris Higginbottom. Thanks very much for having us. Uh, if you'd like to hear some more, then we've got a special Patreon show this week as me and Adam Carter, who runs statcity.co.uk, look into the numbers of City's season. Now it's at the halfway point and how it compares to other seasons at the halfway mark as well. You can listen to that by signing up to be a $2, $5 or $10 per month backer. And Patreon also shows you those figures in your local currency now as well, so it's a bit easier to do the conversion. Anyone backing on those tiers also gets an ad-free version of the show now too. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Podcast to find out more. Don't forget to leave the show a rating and a review in all the usual places it really helps other City fans find us I'll be back next week to review the matches against Sheffield United and Burnley so I'll see you then That was the Blue Moon Podcast Please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast